Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. It was horrible, absolutely horrible. I was in so much shock. I really didn't want to believe that that was like the reality of it. In the fall of 2021, hundreds of women in British Columbia received a disturbing letter from BC Women's Hospital. Paige Morris was one of them. I read it over and over and over again. The letter informed them that they had come in contact with an individual who had worked at the hospital as a nurse, but who had no license or qualifications to do so. Bridget Clarou was a nursing imposter who had faked her credentials in order to work as a nurse, something she had also done in Alberta and Ontario. She treated hundreds of patients over the years, leaving a trail of pain and trauma behind. Morgan Chandler is a lawyer representing some of the women who were treated by Clarou. There was inadequate administration of pain medication. And in some cases, it was so severe that the procedures had to be stopped because of the levels of pain that the individuals were experiencing. Paige Morris's life as a hairdresser was turned upside down by hemorrhaging in the weeks and months after her surgery. The first time it happened to me was while I was at work and I had to stop what I was doing because there was blood everywhere. There was blood all over the floor. My boots were filled with blood. For 30 years, Bridget Clarou crisscrossed Canada and the United States using fake names and forged credentials that led to work as a nurse, a teacher, and even a hairstylist. But it all came crashing down last year, when she was arrested in Ontario in August of 2021, and ultimately sentenced to seven years in prison for charges that included assault with a weapon and criminal negligence causing bodily harm. That brought her total convictions over her lifetime to a shocking number, 67 to date with charges still pending in B.C. But how did Bridget Clarou fool so many for so long? Tina Pitaway now with Fake Nurse, the story 
of Bridget Clarou. And I had to stop what I was doing because there was blood everywhere. That included assault with a weapon and criminal negligence causing bodily harm. She was not just weird, but very mean. In November 2021, Paige Morris was at her home in Vancouver when she opened a letter from BC Women's Hospital. The letter told me that under the review that I had received care from, they didn't specify at the time who it was, um, but from somebody that had not obtained their license. We understand this is potentially worrisome and apologize for any distress that this letter may cause you. To say that is just uh, the understatement of the year. Paige had been a patient at BC Women's Hospital six months earlier in May of 2021. She was there for a surgical abortion. So usually um, what you can do is go to like a private clinic, these kinds of things to have this done. But I was actually a little bit over a weight limit, which is why I was referred to BC Women's for the abortion. I would have to be put fully under for the surgery. I knew that I was going to be walked through the procedure. I knew that I was going to have to take medications before the procedure. And then I knew that I would be in and out of there within a couple hours. I was already feeling pretty tense. And what you expect in that type of setting where it's already pretty sensitive and tense is people are going to be calm around you and understanding and tending to you. Maybe they're speaking softly. Um, this kind of thing, and it was actually felt quite chaotic. At the center of that chaos was a nurse who introduced herself to Paige as Melanie, a middle-aged woman with dark hair, thin brows, and heavily made-up eyes. Melanie was Paige's nurse before surgery as well as after surgery. And she was a bit off. I remember her demeanor specifically. She was very direct and kind of rude with me. And she was just like, this is what you're taking and you need to take it. And she was kind of like having these weird little like chit chats with other nurses in the room in front of other patients that seemed kind of like uh, bickering. And then at some point she was shouting across our ward, I guess you would say, in front of all these patients. She was shouting, saying things like, I told you, or just like things related to um, like client files or things she felt weren't getting done correctly. Paige found it all pretty off-putting, injecting tension into an environment that should have been far more respectful of the patients who were there for treatment. I do remember seeing another patient who had their curtain open and they were kind of giving me a look. And then the nurses kind of were also looking at each other. My first thought was maybe she's just having a bad day. I felt it very odd. I didn't really know what to make of it that she was just getting away with talking like that. So you could tell that everybody was having these internal dialogue moments of like, what was that? That was Bridget Clarou, or as she was known at the time, Melanie Smith. Clarou used many aliases throughout a lifetime of impersonating credentialed professionals. She was Melanie Gautier, Melanie Clarou, Melanie Thompson. She was also Bridget Fournier, Bridget Marier, Bridget Claremont. One thing she wasn't was a qualified nurse. But back in November 2021, no one at BC Women's Hospital knew any of that. Paige Morris. She was also involved in my recovery, doing pretty much my entire 
discharge. And she gave me like prescriptions for Tylenol. In the coming days following, I started having a lot of pain and realizing, oh shoot, you know, I don't think something's not right. Within a few weeks of her surgery, Paige started to experience intense hemorrhaging. To deal with that was absolutely terrible. I called them episodes, like exploding episodes. There was no like like a little bit of bleeding before. It was just like right to it and so uncontrollable. And the first time it happened to me was while I was at work. Paige is a hairstylist. And I had to stop what I was doing because there was blood everywhere. There was blood all over the floor. My boots were filled with blood. It was quite the scene. And it was really unpredictable. So then I would hemorrhage like that for a day, but then the next day there'd be nothing. But then the day after that, it would happen again. So I, it was because of the unpredictability, I wasn't able to like live my normal life. Like I was like taking so much time off work. I was having to tell clients like, I may just have to leave like in the middle of your service. Some days the pain was so much that I, I just gave up. And I was like, I was like, I guess this is just the way my life is now. And I was just like, bleed so much that I would just sit in the bathtub and just like cry because there was nothing I could wear to control it. The letter Paige received was short on details about Clarou. In fact, it didn't even mention her by name. Former patients came forward to share details about their experiences in various media stories. And it's through these initial reports that Paige learned Vancouver police had charged Clarou with fraud over $5,000 and personation with the intent to gain advantage. And that was just the beginning. In September 2022, Vancouver police announced a slew of new charges against Clarou, bringing the total number she faces in British Columbia to 17, including 11 counts of assault and assault with a weapon. The new charges involve 10 patients Clarou came into contact with at BC Women's Hospital, Paige Morris is frustrated that she still doesn't have a solid understanding of Clarou's role in her care and whether it's connected with her hemorrhaging issues. The hospital never prompted anybody to come forward with um, their experiences. Um, and instead, I think it was the opposite. People that were affected or mishandled went to the media, wanted to tell somebody, and the response from the hospital is still just that it was completely sufficient to send out the letter, and that was it. One of the first women to share her experience publicly in early media reports was Alexandra Timkew. She checked into BC Women's Hospital to have a polyp removed from her uterus. The procedure involved local anesthetic. Clarou was her nurse and was responsible for the administration of pain medication. Timkew told CBC that she experienced intense pain during her procedure, a 10 out of 10 is how she described it. In fact, her discomfort was so apparent during the procedure that the surgeon called down the surgery because of her pain. She's no longer doing media interviews on the advice of her lawyer, but her experience is similar to other women who have spoken out publicly. The hospital has remained tight-lipped about just what kind of evidence they have against Clarou with regards to improper patient interactions though details may come to light in the various lawsuits that have since been launched. Paige Morris is frustrated that she's still not certain what role Clarou played in her surgery. No, they never offered any additional details as to what actually happened and how it happened. They wouldn't answer questions directly related about your care. 
that you received, a lot of them were told they needed to go through a process to get their medical records, which wasn't something that the hospital could help them with, which I found disturbing. Instead, the hospital directed patients to contact their family doctors in order to access their records. While no direct link to Clarou's involvement in Paige's care and her hemorrhaging has been determined, the extent of Clarou's role in Paige's surgery is still unclear. I have talked with my family doctor about it because I needed to do that in order to start the process of getting my medical records and specifically the details of her involvement after I was uh, asleep in my surgery because that's what I would like to know more specifically. I don't have the answers to that. I just know at this point uh how much she was involved in that I could see when I was awake. And that was scary enough for me. One woman who spoke with McLean's magazine, who used the pseudonym Kayla, shared details of her experience of being treated by Clarou. And similar to Paige's experience, Kayla found her to be loud and inappropriate. Clarou repeatedly tried to insert an IV into Kayla's arm, but ultimately called a colleague over to take care of that task. Kayla was put under general anesthetic for her surgery, and was unconscious for an alarming amount of time post-surgery, 12 hours. When Kayla got home, she quickly fell asleep, this time for an additional 18 hours. And when she awoke, she found strange bruises and marks on her body. After Kayla received her letter from BC Women's Hospital, she arranged through her family physician to review her records of her stay. What she and her doctor found was shocking. Kayla had been administered a cocktail of what her doctor said were inappropriate drugs. Among the drugs was fentanyl, an opioid that is 50 to 100 times stronger than morphine. It's not clear how Bridget Clarou was outed as a fraud at BC Women's Hospital, but her time there was problematic almost from the time of her hiring. Two weeks after being hired in June of 2020, Clarou was accused of inappropriate and disrespectful conduct towards a colleague. Four months later, in October of 2020, she was allegedly placed on administrative leave for her unprofessional and judgmental treatment of a patient. These details were contained in a written response from the Public Health Services Authority to a proposed class action lawsuit on behalf of patients treated at BC Women's Hospital. That response also referred to a one-day suspension in December 2020 for a slew of complaints against her. They included allegations that she wanted to punch a colleague in the face, as well as her use of force when she roughly straightened a patient's arm to apply a blood pressure cuff. Clarou would go on to work at the hospital for another six months. But in June of 2021, the BC College of Nurses and Midwives issued a public safety alert warning that Bridget Clarou was unqualified to practice nursing. It noted that she had never been certified to practice as a nurse and that she was known to use several pseudonyms. Despite that warning, Clarou was able to remain under the radar when she turned up in Ottawa. It's there that she began to work at a fertility clinic and a dental surgery clinic using the name Melanie Smith. At the fertility clinic, her incompetence would be her downfall leading at long last to an arrest. Clarou's botched attempts to draw blood from a patient resulted in that patient losing sensation in her hands for two weeks. 
Another patient was so traumatized by Clarou's interactions with her that she approached another nurse, shaking and crying, begging not to be assigned Clarou as a nurse again. This apparently enraged Clarou, who confronted the nurse the shaken patient had gone to. Clarou quit on the spot. Her behavior was so unsettling to this nurse that she initiated a complaint with the Ontario College of Nurses. But when she tried to access information about Melanie Smith in their database, no name matched. Puzzled, the nurse recalled that Clarou had mentioned working in BC. She searched that database, and there she stumbled across the public safety alert, detailing Clarou's aliases, complete with an accompanying picture that matched the woman working as Melanie Smith. Clarou was arrested when she went to pick up her final paycheck at the fertility clinic. Ottawa police investigated and charged Clarou in August 2021 with impersonating a nurse, brandishing a weapon, a charge related to her use of needles with patients, and as well, she was charged with criminal negligence causing bodily harm. With her arrest and the ensuing media coverage, a clearer picture of Bridget Clarou's life as an imposter began to emerge. 
dates back more than 30 years to 1991, when she was a teenager living in Gatineau, Quebec. She was charged with impersonation and forgery and served one month in jail. She worked as an exotic dancer throughout her 20s and was arrested again for credit card and check fraud. Eventually, she made her way to Colorado, where she enrolled in nursing training in 2001, which she stuck with for two years before quitting, leaving school with no credentials. But that didn't stop her from applying for nursing jobs and landing them. Her first charges for impersonation and forgery in relation to nursing were in Colorado. Clarue had applied to a critical care nursing job using forged documents, including a registration number of an active nurse. She skipped out on those charges and a warrant is still outstanding for her in that state. She spent time in Florida, where she's also wanted on charges of fraud, theft, forgery and impersonation. By March of 2002, Clarue was back in Canada, married and working as a nurse in the small town of Rockland, Ontario. Again, she forged her way into a nursing job. But this time she was caught, charged and served six months in prison. She was also fined $60,000. Then in 2006, Bridget Clarue decided it was time for another name change and also a career change. Her new name? It was Brigitte Marier. Bridget Marier was hired to teach high school French. At Philemon Wright High School in Hall, Quebec. Cameron Mousseau was 17 years old when this new French teacher appeared in class. So it would have been grade 11. She was not just weird, but very mean. There was a lot of bullying going on on her, her part. Cameron remembers Clarue targeting him over his weight. Because I was a chubbier kid. And I, I can't remember the exact comment, but like, uh, I know one of my friends uh, remembers it. And uh, yeah, he found that pretty, uh, pretty disgusting. And uh, that just like, you know, it, it really didn't help me uh, at school at all. Uh, it kind of made things a little bit more harder for me. And, you know, I, like I never forgot about her and, and the, the horrible things that she had done. Madame Marier had a way of playing students off one another. So she sort of like seen like who was part of the clique and who wasn't and like she targeted those kids in, in general. So like the like the good looking boys in the class that would like end up being her like, um, I guess in French we would say the chouchou there, <laughs> which is like the, the class, um, the class favorites, you know. She put a lot of pressure on certain people and she was just very vindictive and mean. Like if if you didn't like her, or she didn't like you. You weren't uh, you weren't gonna have a, a good time with her. Um, like I don't know. Like I, I dreaded going to, to to class. Like I really did not want to go back to class with her. Uh. And shockingly, former students, including Cameron, remember her playing pornographic videos in class. You know, she she would put stuff on on the computer and show us things that were like really way out there. And like I think at one point she even put porn on in in, in class and. It was really, really, really weird, and it, it like it raised some red flags. Like she barely taught half the time, anyways. Like a lot of the classrooms were like uh, inappropriate conversations about her personal life and like you know uh, her husband. She talked a lot about partying on weekends and implied to students that in addition to having a husband, she also had a boyfriend. The quality of teaching was, as you would expect, subpar. 
classes covered materials suitable for lower grade levels. She had no qualifications to be a French teacher at all. Um, one girl ended up uh, failing her French and, and uh, like uh, it affected her getting into her uh, college or university because of Marier. And it like it, it affected her in the long term. Well, it, it was very difficult. Like it, it put me in a in a dark place, you know. Uh, I, I had, uh, I guess, it made me depressed. It's like um, I remember an assignment that I'd handed in that I'd written. Uh, she had, she had said that it was plagiarized and it was all copied from online. And uh, I remember my mom having made a complaint to the school about it. It made me anxious. Uh, uh, it really didn't help my self-confidence, you know, uh, having somebody that, that's supposed to be uh, an authority figure or somebody that you're supposed to look up to. Like, teachers are there to help you, but she wasn't helping anybody or she wasn't helping me. Then, in December of that year, as suddenly as she appeared, Madame Marier was gone. Shortly after leaving Philemon Wright High School, Clarou moved to Calgary with her husband and daughter, along with a woman who she'd become close to while living in the Gatineau, Ottawa area. That woman, Joelle Ferrand Fournier, was married with three kids and was a registered nurse. Upon settling in Calgary, the two couples and their children shared a rental home. Fournier told the Calgary Herald that Clarou was a thoughtful friend who helped out with childcare. She also said Clarou showed an interest in Fournier's nursing, often asking her about specific hypotheticals. Fournier and her family moved back to Ottawa in 2008, and shortly thereafter, Clarou got up to her old tricks with forging nursing credentials. She landed nursing work, briefly, at a Calgary clinic. A colleague became suspicious of her abilities, and Clarou was laid off after a matter of weeks. Following that, she was tripped up by facial recognition software that revealed issues with her nursing ID. She'd been using her good friend Joelle Ferrand Fournier's nursing permit, Clarou was arrested and charged with defrauding Service Alberta, as well as forgery. When she didn't show up for her court date, an arrest warrant was issued along with a public safety advisory from Alberta's College of Nurses. That was in 2010. She was arrested in Ontario, sent back to Alberta, where she admitted to forging documents. Not much is known about what Clarou was up to over the next decade. She worked in Ottawa briefly as a hairstylist before heading to British Columbia in 2020 and once again forging nursing documents that led to the jobs she's now facing those 17 charges over. We understand that that may not be the full extent of the charges as the investigation was ongoing. Morgan Chandler is a managing partner at Hammerco Lawyers in Vancouver. My law firm practices civil litigation um, we tend to represent individuals who have suffered harms or losses at the hands of either another individual or another corporation. And in this particular instance, we represent a number of individuals who had interactions with uh, Bridget Clarou at BC Women's Hospital. The first thing to understand is that the people that she interacted with were extremely vulnerable. So we're dealing with people, mostly women, who were being treated at BC Women's Hospital 
And the reason they were there was you know, very particular. They may have been in the latter stages of their own fertility journeys. They may have been experiencing reproductive challenges. Um, certainly they were dealing with a number of gynecological issues. And so for most of these women, the reason they were at BC Women's in the first place was distressing to them. And then to find out that a criminal had been involved in their care was an incredible shock um, and took a lot of time to process. So we have spoken with a number of women who either received a letter from Provincial Health Services advising that the uh, Miss Clarou had been involved in their care or who recognized her from the media coverage and recognized her as somebody who had been in the room with them. The kinds of experiences Chandler's clients experienced have many similarities, but range in intensity. She made inappropriate comments about patients' bodies and about their infertility. Sometimes they're in place prepping for the operation, um, literally, you know, maybe on the bed or in stirrups and comments are being made about their bodies or their fertility. And that experience is, is so distressing. But then at the other end of the spectrum, we have individuals who who suffered profoundly. Um, and in some cases, there was inadequate administration of pain medication. So they were supposed to receive a, a certain level of medication, which would um, render the, the challenges of the operations they were going through um, less painful, but didn't. And in some cases, it was so severe that the procedures had to be stopped because of the levels of pain that the individuals were experiencing. Um, there was also instances where um, IV insertion either failed or was done incorrectly or had to be done a number of times. So all of these experiences led not only to a real degrading of confidence in the medical system, but also in some cases, a real fear, um, as well as, as the physical pain that they may experienced while in the procedure. After they left, they may have experienced additional symptoms like nausea or vomiting or bleeding. Um, so, so really distressing to a lot of women who were treated in the year that she worked at BC Women's. In their investigation of what happened, Chandler's firm has spoken with nurses who worked at BC Women's Hospital to try to gain a sense of how this happened and how it was allowed to continue for a year. What we've heard is that, first of all, they were in an environment where you know, they were so short-staffed, um, it, it created opportunities for her to um, perhaps work more than she would have otherwise. She also put herself out as incredibly knowledgeable and ad advanced in the level of, of nursing that she was able to do, and and it created a level of trust. Um, so there's there's a real, you know, lack of, of confidence now, even amongst nurses uh, about who who might be working alongside them. So the the effects of this are are profound and go beyond just the the women um, that she may have have caused harm to, but also it, it erodes confidence in the healthcare system as a whole. I feel absolutely betrayed by our healthcare system. That erosion of confidence is something Paige Morris says she's dealing with. I feel distrust. I feel just great distrust. Like, what do I do to protect myself? Do I demand to see somebody's qualifications before they're, you know, you know, touching me? 
Um, I mean, it's one of those things, like, since this thing has happened, uh, I have, like I said, been back to other hospitals because of the hemorrhaging, and reluctantly so, I did not want to go back to the hospitals at all because I was having so much anxiety already around these things. I definitely am mentally, physically uh, just exhausted over the whole thing, you know? I'm just like, I just avoid uh, hospitals and doctors at this point just because I feel like I'm going to be like disappointed or I feel like I don't trust them to do their job. And it's like, what do you, what do you do? I like, I'm still looking for that answer. What can I do? I don't know what I can do. In court filings in response to class action proceedings, the Provincial Health Service Authority, which is responsible for the administration of BC Women's Hospital, denies liability for Clarou's actions. They also deny that they should have known Clarou wasn't a qualified nurse. Their statement says, quote, At all material times, PHSA took all reasonable steps to properly review Clarou's suitability and credentials as a registered nurse and to monitor, supervise, and oversee Clarou. But in the same filing, the PHSA outlines multiple times Clarou was under investigation for inappropriate behavior. Lawyers for the class action, as well as individuals represented by Morgan Chandler's firm, want to know what, if any, safeguards were in place to prevent this and where the breakdown in hiring occurred. Morgan Chandler. From our perspective, again, it raises the question if there were multiple opportunities here for investigations to be done, and they were done, how did this not come to light sooner? She shouldn't have been hired. Like, you know, that's, it's just, it is that uh, black and white. There's no way that we can have nurses that aren't actually nurses working. You know, there's no way that that can even be a possibility. And then the fact that she got away with it for so long, having as poor of an attitude as she did. Like, if she acted the way that she acted all the time while I was there, you know, like, with the yelling and the shouting and things like this, like, if she acted like that all the time, then, like, why like why should she have even been there in the first place? I think what we're going to see is is perhaps people pointing the finger at, at others or other organizations, but at the end of the day, the, the system failed at multiple levels here. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast, written and produced by Tina Pitaway. Executive producer is Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. Imagine. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.